The most unfortunate thing is any sort of mental health disorder, addiction, depression, anxiety, a lot of these things are very easily treated, but we are just so afraid of admitting weakness that we don't ever ask for help and we don't ever receive treatment. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. We're going to address suicide on this episode. It may surprise you to learn that PTSD is not the major factor in most firefighter suicides. That's just one of the myths that surrounds and drives discussion on the topic of firefighters taking their own lives. One of the strongest advocates in the fire service fighting those myths actually nearly committed suicide herself four years ago. So now she's spreading the truth about firefighters that take their own lives. Dina Ali has been a guest on this show before. She's a 10-year veteran of the Raleigh, North Carolina Fire Department, where she's a captain. She's lectured on the subject at FDIC, and just last month, she graduated from UNC with a degree in public administration. And Dina Ali joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me back. You're well known in the fire service for your efforts to combat suicide, but why did you consider yourself at one time? You know, I I think I guess and it's I just watched a a webinar last week and they said you know you can never just look at one cause or just identify one cause because it's never just one cause or one reason. And I guess that was kind of where I was a few years ago. I wasn't in a good working environment at work. I didn't have uh, good, strong relationships where I was, which kind of led to a bit of depression for me. And the situation just made me feel, you know, a little bit humiliated because, you know, my, my problems weren't, you know, anything that I saw as being significant. You know, I looked outside of me and I was like, man, there are people out there that have real problems, people, you know, who have significant losses in their life, um, you know, illnesses and whatnot. And here I am, I'm depressed just because a poor working relationship. So that kind of put me in depression, made me feel really ashamed. And I just bottled a lot of it up, kept it, you know, kept it to myself because I was too embarrassed to talk about it to anybody, you know, outside of work, people were proud of me and what I was doing. So I didn't want to let on to anybody outside of work that things weren't perfect. And then inside work, constantly trying to prove myself and prove that I belong. So I didn't want to admit that maybe I wasn't fitting in or belonging the way I should. So it just kind of, you know, sent me, you know, down downward spiral. And I, I let, you know, depression overtake me and kind of consume my thoughts, which that just, you know, started to lead to thoughts of suicide. And, you know, from what I know now, it, it makes sense 
why those thoughts would come up because, you know, if you are in a lot of pain and you are ashamed and you feel trapped um, and you feel like it's not getting better, sometimes the thought of suicide might, might seem like a solution. And I guess in my head at that time, that that's what my thought process was, was, you know, my life wasn't going the way I wanted to. I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like I belonged. So I thought about suicide and it seemed, you know, like the one solution to make all the pain go away. So that's, that's where I was. Fortunately, um, it didn't extend beyond those thoughts. And fortunately, at that same time, I, I got driven to, you know, understand it, study it, research it. And for me, through doing that, I was able to understand why I was thinking that way. And it gave me a passion to try to, you know, figure out solutions and figure out how to keep other people from feeling that way. I was definitely fortunate in the timing of everything, I guess you'd say. So you're saying that studying the problem actually helped you recover from the deep depression that was leading you towards suicide. Right. It gave me, at the time, it gave me a purpose. As I started studying it, you know, we all have seen the statistics and we see everything that's shared on social media. And, you know, through studying it, I saw that I wasn't the only one. I saw that I wasn't unique, that it was actually a problem, not just in the fire service, but in society. You know, suicide's the leading cause of death. And for people in their working ages, suicide's in the top five leading causes of death. So it's, it's a significant public health problem. So for me to start researching and then to start seeing connections to things that I read and then things that I could relate to, it just gave me a purpose and it gave me something to put my energy into. And then, you know, as I, as I was working, there's a lot of people before me that, that had done so much better work than me and have done so much more work and, and there were solutions out there and whatnot. So I was able to, you know, understand those. And fortunately for me, I, you know, I had, I had a good social network and, a good support system and people that didn't give up on me and people that were there for me. And I was able to finally open up and express what I was dealing with and what I was going through. And I was able to have somebody there for me who could, you know, let me know that, Hey, it's okay to feel this way. Um, you just got to open up and talk about it. We're going to address some misconceptions about firefighters and suicide. And we'll start with an easy one. The myth is that there is a causal link between firefighting and suicide this surprised me. It's not true. You know, people people make the assumption. They see what's on social media. They see, you know, they might, you know, see certain data, certain things being shared that, you know, we're, we're dying more by suicide than line of duty. So there's just an automatic assumption that it's a causal link that this job leads to suicide. But what's important to understand is it's not the job that leads to suicide because I think we all can agree that through our work, through being you know, first responders, job is a great protective factor for a lot of people. You've got your crews, you've got that purpose, you're helping people, you're contributing to society. But we do have to understand that there are certain individual factors that are related to the job that can contribute to suicide. You know, for example, sleep. Sleep is a, a major factor, poor sleep that can lead to depression. It also, poor sleep, not getting into REM, can also contribute to post-traumatic stress disorder. But there are certain individual factors that might be related to the job that could make you more inclined. But if you don't address those individual factors and you just blatantly say it's the job, you're, you're going to miss your opportunity to, you know, to solve the problem and to make a difference. Well, then here's another myth since you mentioned PTSD. 
PTSD is the primary contributor to firefighter suicide. Again, in in what I'll call the popular media, we've been led to believe this is true, but it's a myth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're led to believe that it's the case for military. Uh, and there's a really good book that I read by Sebastian Younger called Tribe. And he really helped to explain where that myth came from, from the military. And he helped to demonstrate, yeah, you know, the military, they, they've got high suicide rates, but it's not because of what they've seen. It's generally when they leave the military, when they're no longer a part of the military, when they're no longer a part of that group. I think for us in the fire service, the reason you see it all over social media, you, you know, if, if there is a firefighter suicide or whatnot, usually the first thing that, you know, said about it is, you know, the horrors of the job, the trauma of the job, which, yeah, you know, there, there are um, horrors that go along with this job. You do see bad things. But in doing so, we're also failing to mention what the, one of the real issues is, and it's that mask that we put on, that, you know, face that we put on that, hey, we're the responders. We can't ever be the ones to ask for help. You know, I think a lot of us remember when we first started, there was that old saying, you know, leave your baggage at the door. So what happens, I think, for us is we become first responders and we believe that we are the ones that should be helping people and that we should never be allowed to ask for help. Because if we show weakness or ask for it, then, you know, maybe we're not capable, which is absolutely not true. And, you know, Chief DeGrice with the Chicago Fire Department, they collected data over 15 years for their peer support contacts, and they had almost 3,000 contacts. And the most common complaints for them in order were relationship and marriage issues, followed by organizational problems, not calls that they went to, but actual organizational relationship issues, then alcohol, legal, financial and then finally PTSD. That was the um, sixth issue. So it's not the first problem. And I think, you know, for me, I can relate. I, when I was, you know, feeling depressed or when I was um, going through what I was going through, I, I felt like my issue wasn't worthy that, you know, it wasn't a job related issue. It wasn't PTSD. So I shouldn't be allowed to, you know, mention it. I mean, I think that's what happens to a lot of firefighters. They feel like, you know, their issues aren't worthy of, of opening up about when in fact, you know, you're human, we're all human, and humans are going to have ups and downs, and we, it should be okay to share those so that you can address them. Does it seem to you that for these first two myths that they may be driven by the media in such a way that they're simplified, and you say, oh, he had serious PTSD because of what he saw, and that's why he killed himself, instead of looking at the deeper problems? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I, I really think the media perpetuates it. And then also just the comments that we make and what we share through our lack of understanding. You know, a lot of people don't have a complete understanding, so they make assumptions. And, you know, the assumptions seem like they might make sense. But until you actually, you know, delve into it and try to understand it, it's hard to make those assumptions or, you know, you realize how, how inaccurate they really are. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. 
Next few myths are not specific to firefighting, but I found them interesting because these are things that you hear again in the public or in media. This myth is suicide is selfish. Is it not selfish? You know, and that's, I think, one of the hardest ones to discuss. Just this week, I interacted with a survivor, somebody whose husband had died by suicide, and she was still just so very angry, and she hasn't gotten, you know, through that part of the grief. And it's understandable. I mean, you built a relationship, and you have a life together, and you have a family. Um, they, had a, they had a child that was in middle school, and, you know, and then he died by suicide. So for her, you know, absolutely, you know, she can't see past it being selfish. And, it, you know, it's almost I wouldn't even attempt to try to talk her out of that viewpoint. And I think a lot of times that's where that myth comes from. It comes from people who are left behind. You know, how could they do that to me? I can't believe they did that to me. Uh, but the unfortunate thing is the person who dies by suicide, they, they don't see it that way. They see that they are a burden to others, that their life is, you know, gone off track and that it is causing pain to not only themselves, but damaging other people around them. Dr. Joyner, he's done so much research and he's done so many studies to try to understand that burdensome component. And he, he feels a hundred percent that everybody who died by suicide, the overriding theme in their head was that they are a burden. He actually did two studies of suicide notes and found that the most common expression was that of burdensomeness. And then he also looked at uh, different mental health disorders and different groups of people. And he found that, you know, one group, the Cluckley Psychopath, this group was almost completely immune to suicide. But unique about this group is that they are described as being selfish to the core. So to find that a group of people who is completely selfish is immune to suicide and then compare that to what he found about, you know, the overriding theme in somebody's mind before they die by suicide is that they are a burden. And that their death, you know, is worth more than their life, which is absolutely a misperception. But in that person's mind, it seems true. And I always, I always try to compare that to, um, you know, thinking about maybe an anorexic woman. She thinks that she's, you know, overweight. She thinks that she can't eat because, you know, she, she's too big. But we look at her and we're like, oh, my goodness, she's so underweight. How could you not realize that? But you can't you can't tell her otherwise. But with regards to everything else, she's you know totally yeah, everything else is totally rational except for her perception of herself. And that's similar to somebody who is suicidal and in the moments of their death, you know everybody around them is like, no, you're not a burden. You you know you, you're you're not hurting us. We love you. But in their head, they can't shake that feeling, and they can't believe it. It's hard to make them believe that. I'm going to combine a couple of myths here. Suicide is impulsive or it's an act of anger? Yeah, and those definitely, I think, are thoughts that come, you know, after somebody dies or assumptions made. They actually found that anger was not was not present in most people who were suicidal. The overriding thoughts um, and overriding feeling was that of sadness. Dr. Joyner, he explained that pretty well, though. He said, you know, if you look at people and, you know, you try to evaluate them, there are lots of angry people. Not all angry people die by suicide. But maybe being an angry person and having um, that kind of personality might, you know, lead you to have a riskier life or a more aggressive life, which could make you more capable for suicide. But to say um, that, you know, it's an act of anger is, is just totally untrue. It's normally 
the complete opposite. It's an act of sadness, a feeling of failure. And when they really looked into people who died by suicide and uh, looked at their lives in the days and months and moments before, what they found is a lot of these people, even though they died by suicide, they still went to great lengths to try to ease that pain. You know, the one I was just mentioning earlier, he, he was, he worked with Raleigh Fire Department. He recently retired, but he actually um, went to links to t- uh, get the house taken care of, pay off bills, and do everything he could to take care of his family. We learned about uh, Chief Dangerfield from Indian Beach, Florida, and when he died by suicide, he actually left his house, you know, drove a few miles, went off the road because uh, he didn't want any of his family to see him. So they found that it, it's not an act of anger. It, it's overriding an act of sadness, and a lot of times people still go to links to ease that pain. And then the thought of impulsiveness, and I still, you know, I just read something the other day that was printed by somebody with a PhD, so somebody extremely educated, and it was a great article. Everything in it was, you know, it it just really was, it it nailed it, except for one part. It it said that suicide was impulsive, and that's so just absolutely not true. Maybe the, the final act could be impulsive. It could be an impulsive final act, but that person has been t- thinking about it for some time. That person has been building up to it for some time. Being able to die by suicide, just it's not easy, and you can't just impulsively make the decision. You really have to um, overcome that instinct to survive and you know, overcome that, the fear of death because that's our strongest instinct. Our bodies work really hard to keep us alive. It's true. I have always heard it described as being like a scale. And when your mind gets to the point where you believe that you simply can't recover it, so you may as well just go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, and I, I even, you know, I don't I don't say suicide is an illness, but I, I, I compare it a lot of times to, you know, like progressive illnesses like heart attacks, you know, diabetes and whatnot. Um, there's that trajectory that leads a person to that point. And along, like, especially for a heart attack, you know, along that trajectory, actions, you know, like, changing your diet, exercising, smoke cessation, those things could help prevent, you know, having the heart attack. And then suicide, it it similarly travels along that trajectory, except for for somebody who, you know, is traveling on that sort of trajectory. It is pain, repeated depressive experiences, you know, just repeated setbacks that make that person feel that death is worth more than life. And, you know, what's the most unfortunate thing is, a lot of these things, depression, any sort of mental health disorder, addiction, depression, anxiety, a lot of these things are very easily treated. But we are just so afraid of admitted, admitting, admitting weakness and admitting that we're feeling this way that we don't ever ask for help and we don't ever receive treatment. And because of that, it continues along the trajectory and gets worse. All right, Dean Ali, thanks for talking with us today on Code 3. Thank you for having me. And we put some more information about the myths behind firefighter suicides on our website at code3podcast.com slash myths. Check it out. Look out! Here comes your trivia question. All right, well, actually, yeah, you probably should look out. Looking at an EKG strip, you see that there are six large boxes between QRS complexes. So what is the heart rate? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. 
It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com slash support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 bull sessions. Here's the trivia answer. If there are six large boxes between QRS complexes, the heart rate is 50. If you want to calculate the heart rate on an EKG strip, Divide 300 by the number of large boxes between the QRS complexes. In this case, 300 divided by 6 is 50, and that's the heart rate. All right, that's it. That's all for another edition of Code 3. If you have any feedback about the show, just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I sure hope you're here too. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.